Welcome back to Free Kick, the AFLW Fantasy Podcast. The whole gang is here to reflect on round 10 and essentially our whole of season 8. How's it going, Will? Yeah, it's going well, Mel. It's going well. It was uh, an exciting finish to the end of the year. It was a fantastic season and I'm looking forward to going through it in our review tonight. Yes. Um, And Liam, how are you? Specifically, Liam? Okay. Specifically, Liam has decided he's disappeared, so... Will, what was your highlight of the weekend? Uh, my highlight of the weekend, I uh, had a great Geelong win, which is always fantastic. Got to see them play uh, arch-rivals Hawthorne. It was a shame that Jono wasn't around to see that one, but uh, mm. yeah, it was great to see Geelong finish off with a win, secure the finals. And I also finished my quest for Season 7 signatures on my hat, which was fantastic, managing to get the signature of Tamara Luke the retiree, so congratulations to her on her career. Yes, that was great timing. And and Liam, how are you? I'm uh, I'm specifically, I'm very good. I uh, I actually managed to uh, complete my goal, which was to see the Bombers make the finals. Um, that was really important to me, even if it was an absolutely horrendous game to watch on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look, I can't say the same. Um, Frio playing in the last round, uh, sorry, last game of the round. Uh, it was good to know that they helped Sydney get to the finals, but that was <laughs> not a fun game to watch at all. And you know what? I'm still salty about that goal. Yeah. And they, oh my God, the commentators are like, and the St Kilda fans will be devastated that that goal didn't go through. I was like, what about the Frio fans? <laughs> Excuse me, do we not exist? They're like, oh, and St Kilda's not making it to the finals with that. I was like, fine, just write off the other team in this actual game because we're definitely not going to finals, but whatever. Um, yeah. So that was like not, not a great game to watch, but I also still had a good week because it was pride round and that was super fun. Love to see all of the pride color out. Um, and everyone being super supportive of that it was super fun to be at Vic Park for that round on Sunday. I was also at, at Vic Park. Uh, I was actually with a friend of the pod and men's podcaster, Jake from Hatchat, having a oh. bit of a chat and stressing as I'm sitting there watching my rank go down, knowing I had a lot of players in the final game trying to trying to make a hat and I yeah we got well out past 200 during that game the only thing that made it better was Eilish Sheeran playing as a gun midfielder which apparently she only does in round 10 she did the same mm. thing last year well i mean that's kind of alluding a little bit to how you went this week Liam you had the most Given it, Will pretty much totally gave up. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get back to you which after is, which this. Which is a bit then, ironic, we'll... actually, because we will get back to that. But Liam, mm, man of the yes. moment, how'd you go? How'd you go? I did pretty well. Uh, I think the main thing is I managed to win a hat. So finished the season, finished the round at rank 88. So I had a score of 16.59. My trades were Sachi Syme to Jenny Higgins, 
What a trade. Tani Evans to Ange Stanett and Charlie Rowbottom to Kiara Bowers, which I think might be the only time any of us all year did exactly the trades we said we were going to do <laughs> on the podcast recording on the Monday night. So I stuck true my word. Um, I managed to have a round rank of 166, which would have been better if I'd gone with Kiara Bowers with a C or with Jazz Garner with the VC. Unfortunately, I'd mm. gone Noffy VC to be tagged by Ella Roberts, who I'm sure we'll chat about later, and then didn't want to have to risk Bowers coming off in a fourth quarter or during the game injured in a fixture that, well, it didn't matter for Frio, so that's probably why the commentators weren't talking about it. <laughs> I, I couldn't couldn't bear the thought of Kiara Bowers ruining my season again, so I went Laura Gardner with a C. She got 111, which is enough to, to secure me a win, but by God, I had about what felt like about more than half my team playing in that final game of the round. Mm. I think I went into the final game at rank 280. And then I had to have my uh, loophole kick in. So I'd had Amy McDonald kick in via Jenny Higgins, who'd been on field. So I jumped Mm. a few ranks because of that. And then I just watched it slowly creep up about 30 Mm. ranks every quarter. And it wasn't until about four minutes to go that I finally crossed over into the top 100. That is a terrifying last game. I've got to ask, I uh, I jumped on my bike and got home quick smart because I wanted to watch as much of that Frio game as possible. Given how important that game was to you, did you watch it? Uh, I did watch it, but it, I couldn't watch it too intently. So Did after you just watch the, the stats? Watch it through his fingers, no. I reckon. Just No, so <laughs> I went to the pub uh, after the game and I played. I had some, a couple of pints. I played some pool. And then at about half time, I decided I would walk home from Abbotsford to uh, Carlton. And then I just had it there like on my phone as I'm like walking Mm. back home. So I couldn't like be fully locked in and be stressing about it too much and like have a million tabs open and be like constantly refreshing because Mm. I just had one phone screen and I didn't get home until there was about, you know, two minutes left in the game. So I think that helped manage my stress a little bit. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Stay distracted. And I also just noticed 16.59. My God, that's a big number. Yes. Like, obviously, we've got longer rounds. Sorry, yeah, longer quarters this season compared to last season. But that maybe that's why that number looks so big. But my God, <laughs> that's a huge yeah. score. And that wasn't even... There were multiple scores in the 700, 1700s this week. I would have been at... Exactly 1,700 if I'd had Kiara Bowers as my captain. Ah, so. my favourite game. Yep. <laughs> what we could have been on. If you want to play the what-if game, my my team this week is possibly the greatest what-if because if I, 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 I played the what-if game post the round this week and if I had have gone through with the trades that I would have done if I had been trying seriously, I reckon I would have got over 1,700. And what did you actually get? Not seventeen hundred, not sixteen hundred. <laughs> so we crowdsourced my trades this week, and none of them were particularly inspiring, which doesn't really matter. It's to kind me. of the point. Abby Dowrick was just fantastic to have. I really enjoyed having Abby Dowrick for a week. Respectable ninety-five. Mm. Uh, Caitlin yeah. Gould. The attempt at getting her to the goal kicking award didn't really pan out there. Um, they didn't try. They, they did such a piss-poor effort of it. She was like one goal away in the end. It, it was pretty pretty disappointing. And Erin um, Phillips 
scored about as well as I probably could have hoped from a player who was going to retire probably because her body's probably pretty shot. But um, I scored a 15.91 with a round rank of 6.33. Ended up with a final rank of 580, so moved up just a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll quickly play the what-if game. If I had kept Mon Conti, <laughs> traded out Brett Benici as I'd originally planned, and done a slight, probably just kept Aaron Phillips, I would have got an extra about 100 points, I reckon. So would have been pretty close, but so be it. Perfectly happy with the trades that I did and still very happy with how the season went overall. Hmm. Given that you didn't really um, put too much effort in, in fact, you actually just outsourced all of the effort, you went up 65 points. Yeah, I was not good. expecting that, to be completely honest. I, I, I was expecting <laughs> to drop by about 65 at least. Yeah. So to be close to the 500 was pretty good. Hmm. And um, carrying on from last week's analogy, my scuba diver has decided to become a, you know, Earth's core explorer and has gone below the shipwreck. Yeah, they've, they've got the bends and have sunk to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and then dug themselves a little grave so that they're below the shipwreck. Um, I don't actually care, but I shuffled down 150 points to take me out of the top 500 and below Will. And to carry on your description from before, not 1,700, not 1,600, not 1,500, 1,469. That's that's very similar to me last week where it was like, oh, yeah, 1,500 this, 1,500 that, 1,300. Look, it was going to be difficult regardless because I'm trying to trade in to three out players. So that's always going to suck. One I knew in advance, I guess. One, you know, we knew Zarika wasn't going to play Pride Round. Robottom got injured. Hatchard did not expect. That was annoying. But, yeah. Final rank, 643. Uh, you nailed two of your trade-ins this week, and you, you glossed <laughs> right over them. I, I actually think that the, the, the humour in your trades is that you... Liam's right. You absolutely, absolutely nailed two of them. Conti in for 124 and Lambert for 106 as a discount option. And then the trade there, other than probably Mon Conti, mm. you went for Neve Kelly who was probably the easiest trade of the three, who scored easily her worst score of the year. That was... Look, Lambert was a pleasant surprise because I forgot that I traded in Lambert. And then I was saying to you guys, I was like, oh, I wish I had Lambert. It's true. Oh. She spent most of the um, game at Vic Park just going, oh, man, Jamie Lambert scored well. I wish I picked Lambert. I was going to. And then I looked at my thing later. I was like, am I tripping? Like, why is Lambert in my side? I was like, oh, that's right. But Kelly... Ooh. That's a very expensive 34. <laughs> that was a $1 million dollar 34, but that's cool. That's fine. <laughs> it is what it is. For our awards, well, Kiara Bowers plus four for your favourite player this week. Liam, yours is namely. Yeah, it is. And I did not expect to be saying this uh, after round four of this year. And it's Kiara Bowers for a 143 in the final game of the home and away season. She looked back to her best, taking marks, 18 tackles, just burst scoring that is stupid. Like, you'll you'll not realise. You'll be looking at your phone or the screen and go, oh, okay, she maybe got something there. And then you'll look at the scores and it's like, oh, that's plus 22 points in three minutes. It's dumb. She makes fantasy the the easiest game and the most frustrating game for everyone that doesn't own or or isn't her. It actually throws such a spanner in the works because we spent so much of this year going, 
This is it. This is the year Kiara Bowles has finally gone down. We can finally have been released from the the clutches of Kiara Bowles dominating the competition. Mm. And she just pulls that out in the final round just to think, you know what? We're probably going to have to pick her up at the start of next year. Hopefully at a much discounted price. But she still is an incredibly relevant fantasy player. Going to only be priced at 110, which is 10 points down on what she was priced at this year. And that's not even factoring in, you know, what would you would expect is a about 12% price increase because that's how much long games got longer. So, yeah, Bowers was a plus four for me this week. And it would have been a bigger plus four if I'd gone with her as a captain. But I'll, I'll take that in a game where she very easily could have just said, nah, my knee's a bit sore. I'm going off at halftime. We're not, you know, there's no point for us. All we're doing is ruining our draft position because we're not making finals. Yeah. She kind of ruined a couple of seasons last season, a couple of people's games last season when she disappeared for a while. And this season, in, out, in, out was just intense. But it is called the Kiara Bowers plus four for a reason. So well done, Bowers. Will, what about you? This is an interesting one from you. I I went for something slightly different because there were a lot of high-scoring midfielders this week. And I could have very easily given it to to Jazz Garner, who scored a massive score, Ash Riddell, who scored a big one. I actually went for Ella Roberts this week because she scored 122 against a tough opponent and basically just shown why she, along with uh, Zali Goldsworthy, are basically the future of AFLW Fantasy. These two mid-forwards are incredibly, incredibly talented players. She was a late pickup for me in the season, so it was kind of a bit late for her to actually help me out, but... All in all, I thought she was fantastic on the weekend and I was very happy to have 122 in my forward line. What's wild is that she did that basically tagging Ebony Marinoff for at least Mm. 50% of the game and outscored her by 20 points. It was a ridiculous performance. Uh, I hope that whoever is the West Coast coach next year watches that game footage and then also watches the game footage against Melbourne and does not decide that the role that they had that she had against Essendon is the way to go. She is as high a forward as you can possibly make her. She should be spending half the game in the midfield. She should be a marking target coming out of defense. And that combination that she will have at least for a couple more seasons with Swanson, but then also with Charlie Thomas off that half back line should be an anchor for some very good Hopefully some good actual football, but at least some bloody dominant fantasy football for for a few seasons to come. Yeah, well, I mean, well, you just said that you're, you've deliberately gone and not picked one of the highest scoring midfielders for your plus four. And I'm just going to go straight back to that cliche and pick the highest scoring midfielder for my plus four. Nice. For the first time, I decided it's probably about time I follow the rules and just give it to the player that did the best in my team. So I'm going to give it to Jazz Garner, who I did not captain. But she had an amazing score. And in a, in a game where I thought maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe North don't need to go that hard. Maybe they'll kind of come down against Bulldogs. She just went absolutely above and beyond, which was just incredible to see. A 150. We've had a couple of scores in above the 150s from her. And she once again took out, I think it was her, she once again took out like highest round score. She's just been absolutely elite all season. And it's about time I gave an award to her. Yeah, and I, I was at this game, and if there's ever a lazy 150... She it, does it. Th- this was this. It, she was... She's a cruiser. Doing it with ease in this game. Um, 
it's one of those games where like it'll probably get her three votes, but you almost feel like she <laughs> didn't really earn it because she just did it so easily, you know. Um, but yeah, oh. in, in, incredible performance from an incredible player uh, could be the very game that earns her a W award. So I think it's a, it's a good call, and I, it was one of the few good good things I did this weekend for my fantasy team, which was put her as vice captain. So that's probably the only mm. reason my score was anywhere near decent. That was very good. Well, moving over to our <laughs> page, Scott, negative three for your flop of the week. And I'd just like to say, wow, that was anything but a flop from Paige Scott. That was a great score. 71. She was angry. She was letting it out. That's her. That matches her other highest score from the season, which was also, I mean, 71. That's, yep, absolute massive game for our negative three flop of the week. Will, yours and I have something in common here. Uh, yeah, they were both your trades. Um, (laughs) (laughs) bang Um, that's what I meant they were both in that Adelaide game where (laughs) basically Adelaide just barely showed up Um, unfortunately I could just about give this minus three to Matthew Clark and Ebony Marinoff for not feeding it down Caitlin Gould's throat but we we went for the trade of Caitlin Gould because we figured if it happened, it would be glorious if I was the one person in the top thousand to have Caitlin Gould when she scored 150 and kicked eight goals. She scored a 42, and Adelaide didn't even try to get her to what should have been a fairly easy four goals to tie with the leading goal scorer in the competition. So Caitlin Gould... Didn't quite pan out that one, but that's okay. It was worth the punt, I think. Yep. I, I'm i going to build on from that and go Neve Kelly, who's coming off a 98 and a 99. And when they're playing some relatively easier teams, Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide 95, Bulldogs 85, showing that, like, you know, some of the easier sides, some of the harder sides still scores well. Same kind of logic. I needed a forward replacement for Zarika. Bring her in for a meal. Put a lot of eggs in that basket there. 34. That yeah. is a flop. Maybe next year, season nine, it'll be the Neve Kelly round 10 flop of the week. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's far off. It could be the Emily Bates, though, for when she just didn't tackle when she got tagged against Sydney. But she got tagged by, like, someone that we've been, or you specifically have been talking about as a great tagger. Yeah, at least there was a reason for that one. This is just like a, we could not see that coming. Watching that game, uh, I just think Adelaide were bad. Ebony Marinoff had one mark. This year, she's averaged like five. It was just a bad game. So I know that was a big flop and that's kind of what ruined my side because I otherwise probably wouldn't have done that badly. But uh, I'm okay with this because I could not see that coming necessarily. That's what I tell myself. Liam, tell us about your flop. My flop was Amy McDonald. She was my midfield pod. And very unfortunately, she decided to have a week where she would just hand pass everything and not lay any tackles. So in the last, so in round eight, when she had 102, and also in round seven, uh, she'd averaged across those two weeks basically 10 tackles, and she'd outscored Georgie both weeks. Now, in the last two weeks, she's not tackled. And then on the weekend against Hawthorne, she had 15 hand passes to eight kicks for only 73. For someone who was only owned by three people in the top 100, it really did sting when she was 30 points worse than 
Georgie and Nina. Mm. And also, it's a little bit of a, a minus to a little bit of a flop of the week to Geelong's coaching staff for just deciding to rest all of Geelong's midfield with 15 minutes to go, which stopped me from having a chance to kind of, you know, hope for some extra scoring from, from Amy. So that was my flop. Very frustrating. However, on the flip side of that, there would have been a lot of coaches that have been pretty frustrated with Georgie Pasparkas getting a just on the edge of 100, 94, 96, 99, 93 for the last four weeks. We can finally be satisfied with the 104. <laughs> she tipped Her it over the edge. run. Yes, finally. Okay, so very excitingly, our watch and wait scoreboard, firstly, Will is here to do it. And then secondly, it includes the winner of the season. Tell us about it, Will. Sure does. Our winner, Regretta, has held on by 47 points ahead of Fithers. So congratulations to Bryony, who has won the inaugural AFLW official competition. Uh, the top 100 marker was 15,105 points. So you needed 1634 to stay in the top 100, which we were talking about how good Liam's um, score mm. was. Basically, he's only just got above par in the end, which is which is pretty impressive. So yeah, lots of points need to stay in that top 100. But if you're looking at uh, staying in the top 100 and being in our league, we ended up having about 41, which is impressive. We had a real boost in that last round, which, which is super fantastic. And I'm also going to say we had close to a thousand people in our league this year, which is massive for us. Like that's a you know, we're very, very happy mm. to, to see that. And we've, we've loved to... We, we've hoped that the people who've been in our league have, have managed to benefit, at least on occasion, from some of the advice we've been able to give them or, at the very least, enjoyed some of the jokes we've had at our own expense. But, yeah, it was pretty cool to see that big boost up to 41 teams, so... Yeah, that's like half of as many people that played the very first season. So that's that's exciting. Yes, well, as we said... Bryony was in our league, so she did top our league as well, and we had the absolute pleasure of actually getting a chance to chat with Bryony earlier in the week about her victory. Mal and Liam sat down with her to to get all the inside word, so we're going to throw straight to that. Let's hear what she has to say about her outstanding victory. And we're joined very luckily here by Briny, coach of Regretta, who finished rank one overall, winner of the Corolla Cross for AFLW Fantasy this year. Briny, how are you and how are you feeling after what is an awesome season? Uh, yeah, I'm really good. Um, yeah, very happy. Still on cloud nine. Can't quite believe it's over. Um, and that, yeah, I finished top. So, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty stoked with how it all went. And, yeah, after a really probably one of the more nervous um, Sundays of my life, um, yeah, I had a big smile on my face for sure. So, like, you were sitting at uh, top of the leaderboard weekend before, round nine, and then you've managed to hold your spot. So what was your approach going into the weekend? Did you watch, like, every game or did you watch no games or somewhere in between? Um, well, I actually had COVID, so I was just, like locked up in my room and I was like, oh, great, I can watch every minute, um, which oh, no. I realised <laughs> on Saturday night was the wrong approach. I was getting way too invested. So, um, yeah, I did watch most of the games on Saturday and then on Sunday I, I just switched approach and didn't watch any football. 
um, kind of followed along a little bit on my phone, but um, yeah, for my own sanity, just tried to kind of let it happen. I suppose. Yeah, because I I had a look at the rankings on the Saturday night and I think uh, one of the guys in the top 10 had had a fully front-loaded schedule, was like miles ahead. And I I knew what your side looked like and that it was going to be pretty back-end loaded. Did that kind of influence like that? I can't watch this. This this is just going to be an excruciating climb up the ladder. Yeah, definitely. I knew I had quite a lot of players coming in the Fremantle-Sydney game especially, and I suspected that quite a few people would have traded into that game. Um, And then, yeah, I traded in Mon Conti as well, so my hopes um, were lying with her a little bit as well. So I I definitely couldn't watch um, her play just in in case she flopped. So, um, yeah, uh, I did. I knew I would fall a bit, and then hopefully climb back up. But yeah. Better. So if you but weren't watching much of the uh, the Frio Sydney game, wh- when did you figure out that you'd won? Like, how did that news get to you? Uh, I got a text from some friends. Like, had a bit of a group chat going, and yes, yeah, some messages came through on my on my watch. Um, like. 10 seconds left, like you're still in front, like sort of thing. So, yeah, and then when I, yeah, finally realised it was over, I, I did jump on and have a look and uh, I was still kind of expecting it to refresh and update. And, but, yeah, eventually I yeah, realised it was, um, yeah, it was real. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I'm interested to know, how how's your interest in AFLW been over time is are you someone that's been following this for a long time or have you gotten into it with the the fantasy element like a lot of other people have uh, I followed it um fairly closely since the beginning um I actually started playing football in 2017 um a friend from uni um sort of said oh I'm gonna go play um uh, I went to Adelaide uni and they've got quite a big football club um and they yeah she said I'm gonna go out and give it a go do you come with me and I did um, and yeah I love playing same year that the AFLW started so yeah I kind of started following it from that and actually quite a few people from Adelaide Uni Football Club got drafted into the Crows and other teams that year um, obviously we weren't playing together I was in the Learn to Kick Club and they were a bit more advanced than me but um, yeah so it was good to follow some people that I'd actually met before as well which is really cool. Yeah, and um, given that you're from Adelaide, do you support either of the Adelaide teams? Yeah, I'm a big Port fan, so I've been a football fan my whole life. All my family's quite into it, so um, I was pretty happy when they brought in the women's team. Um, it felt a little bit wrong going for the Crows, uh, but yeah. I couldn't quite decide who else to go for, so I did follow them a bit. But, um, yeah, it definitely feels right now having having the power in. Yeah. Well, jumping across then to your interest in fantasy, how did you get into it? Did you play AFLW fantasy when it was Marrera's Magic? Have you got much experience playing the AFL M game or Super Coach? Uh, I did play Marrera's Magic when it first came out. Um, so, yeah, the first year I had an okay year. Well, I finished 77, I think, so won a hat, which was really cool. Um, so I was pretty stoked with that. Um, second year I didn't do – Missed the top 100, just sort of finished 120th, somewhere around there. Um, and this year, definitely put all my eggs into the official basket, um, let the other team drop off a little bit. But um, yeah, and then in terms of the men's game, I 
actually when I started playing football there was a bit of a league going at the club that I was at so I joined in with that and steadily gotten better at the fantasy strategy and and whatnot over time um yeah so I've been playing what would that be about six years seven years now playing the men's game which I've really enjoyed and yeah I like the the content the community is really great as well yeah nice you you talk about the community there something I find really exciting is that um as like a AFLW fantasy player in the community that's female there's not I'm not there's not that many others that I've seen there's a handful and they're really great and it's good to engage with them all on Twitter but um it's it's still quite male dominated so to see um you know non-male take out the first spot is just very exciting uh given the the small percentage in the fantasy space how does that that feel like does that represent anything to you or are you just happy to play uh yeah I'm pretty proud of it like it definitely like I said is male dominated and I know there was quite a good a few really good fantasy people came over to play the women's game and so um to play alongside them and eventually take out the top spot was pretty special and even I didn't realize I guess looking in the rankings there's there were a few women around, but not uh, a lot in the top of 30 or 40. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, to any female listeners, yeah, keep going. <laughs> Learn how to, to, to match it with the boys that have been playing for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start to get a bit of a feel that you might finish first? Because when uh, we've been doing like a bit of a weekly scoreboard and there's been a lot of fitness Josh, Josh's team has been holding the first spot for a few weeks in a row and then you kind of snuck up there. When did you think, oh, I could be in for something here? Uh, my rank climbed. Oh, first, I had a look actually. I couldn't really remember when I started to be sort of in contention, but I kind of started around the 250 mark um, from round one, which I was happy with. Pretty good start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it pretty much halved to round two to about that 125 and then um, round three was when I really had an excellent week um, and I went from 125th to 26th. So wow. I had a huge jump and that's when I guess I started to think, oh, I should maybe worth some more time um, spent in playing the game, probably in with a chance. So, yeah, pretty yeah. early What happened on, in round three? What was your round uh, three big move? Have a look. Uh, I brought in body too good. Oh, oh no, wait, that was round four, actually. No, I didn't. I brought in Charlie Rowbottom. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Both so good moves. I think it just kind of clicked as well for my team. Like there was a few people that I started with that maybe were, ended up being pretty good starting picks that didn't fire necessarily and then they kind of got it together. Um, and having a look, I also had – Ghana is captain for over 150, I think she got 154 maybe. So, yeah, that helps a lot, big captain score. Yeah, and so when it comes to making those trade decisions, what was your what was your process like? Did you have like a set strategy each week, kind of lock it in on Monday, not pick it up till teams? Were you taking in only certain resources? What was your go-to process week to week? Um, I usually probably didn't play with it all that much um, early in the week until – teams were out, um, especially in the women's game. Uh, the reporting on injuries and whatnot isn't 
always amazing. Um, so you might have these amazing trades locked in and then on Thursday night you might hear that someone involved in that has got a calf injury or whatever. So, um, yeah, I probably waited for teams quite a lot um, to come out and and then I guess, yeah, try to engage a fair bit with the podcasts. I listen to pretty much all of your podcasts, I think, and the um, – Warney and, and Jenna's podcast and there's a couple of other um, good ones floating around and tried to keep up with the news. Um, the yeah, little of it there is. Yeah, yeah, probably a bit easier than the men's. It's, in the men's it can be a bit overwhelming. I think there's quite a lot of content sometimes and you're not really sure what's what. But, um, yeah, so it's good to um, have have some stuff out there to read and listen to. So thanks for contributing to that. No worries. Well, thank you. Um, but it's that's an interesting way to to be doing it. It's just kind of like delaying because I know um, well us on us here on Free Kick we get very excited like Sunday night Monday and because we record on Monday we're all we're looking at it we're th- figuring out our trades but then you just create this emotional roller coaster throughout the week when like you get drip fed the little bits of injury and news reporting like you said um and then by the time you get to Friday it's like oh <laughs> I've been through everything already um and you end up just making some trades on the spot because you're exhausted well that's me anyway but um I like your approach and I think I will <laughs> consider that for next year um. That's Somehow awesome. I feel like that's not actually going to happen because you get to about one hour recording every week and then you're just like, I'm just going to start doing my trades. Liam, you rant for a little bit. I'm just going to stare at my laptop screen. Uh, good intention. So you, you, you've already mentioned it, but we kind of wanted to, we're on the podcast this week, we're talking about our kind of personal best decisions we've made throughout, best and worst decisions we've made throughout the year. So we wanted to ask you and see what you thought about them. So first one I wanted to ask, your best start. Who was your best starting pick? Do you think you can have more than one? I yeah, it's probably a few. I did start with Jasmine Garner, which I think was pretty um, solid. Yeah, it really helped with the price rises changing so much. Once she kind of hit that like real high ceiling, I didn't have to find heaps and heaps of cash to bring her in. Um, which I, yeah, I think that contributed quite a lot. Uh, yeah, other than that, I actually had I had seven players survive from my starting team. So Wow. Um, yeah, so I started with Nofi and Ghana, which um, yeah. I guess choosing those big gun midfielders at the start is always quite, uh, I think you can overthink it quite a lot. And, it, well, it, seemed, it is a big decision, I guess, if you get the wrong ones, it can um, – impact your team quite a lot, especially in a short season. Uh, but I also started with Gardner, like most people, um, and I would have to thank the podcasters for that one because I had no idea who she was before the season. Um, and I started with Ella Roberts as well, which didn't uh, – yeah, she just kind of sat there for most of the year um, performing. And she came through at the back. Me. Mm. yeah 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 did you you say uh you know picking your your top midfielders is a an important place to start did you have bowers and have to do some kind of last minute shuffle for that first free game I did yeah so I had her in my team and I had her as captain as well so um I switched over to Swanson uh who 
was pretty good. I think she got a low 100 score, so it wasn't a disaster for me. I do feel for anyone that went over to Hayley Miller because mm. I remember sitting there going, oh, which one do I go for? And I I didn't have very long to make the choice. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Emma Swanson, for, for performing well enough in that week. Um, she lasted a little while in my team. Yeah, before she eventually turned into pro bottom for me. Though. What was your uh, what was the starting decision you regretted the most in terms of in terms of your team? Uh, I started with Chelsea Randall in forward, um, and I think I don't remember her starting price, but she was quite expensive. Um, and I also started with a D one of Jordan Allen, um, and. Uh, I think after their round one performances, I realised that maybe the money was better spent elsewhere. So they actually both went out of my team um, for my round two trades. So, yeah, they were probably the two that kind of weren't, yeah, weren't quite hitting the mark. Yeah. Good to see that you saw pretty quickly that they were, you know, wrong role, bad scoring, because that held true for most of the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, and especially I think after those round one, um, when the lockout lifted and, and we all kind of saw how the price changes were quite drastic, I thought oh, better better just jump off. And even if they come good, you can get them back in. So and the best trade in for the year was it was it Robottom or or uh, uh, who was the other one? Bonnie in three or four, or was it another trade you did this year? Uh, I think Bonnie in round four was good for me. It was pretty instant reward. I think. Uh, she was that her 126? 126, that's right, yeah. So um, and I think I traded out Neve Kelly for her, so it was a pretty big upgrade. Um, and the other one that was actually quite good for me, I traded in Ashwoodell in round five. So I yeah. think quite a few people had traded her out for a What are you talking about? I, I didn't do that. <laughs> Earlier in the comp. So, um, and that one was one of those sort of 50-50 choices. I was deciding between Georgia Kasparkas and Riddell. And I actually, I had it as Riddell in and I last minute wanted to change it, but I missed the lockout. So I was sort of, in that moment, I thought I was stuck with Riddell um, and I'd missed Kasparkas. But I think Georgie went on her run of, sort of 90 scores from about then on. So, um, yeah, the ceiling of Riddell was, was pretty nice to have in my team. Yeah. I wish, I, like you talked about, the players you've kept in your side all season. I have had eight players who were in my round one side and that ended in my team, but I was one of the Riddell trader outs because I, yeah, I will forever rue what that was. <laughs> But in terms of in terms of talking about trade outs, do you have one that you regret the most at any point this year? I think it was just the round gone. I um, made my worst trade of the season in round ten, um, and I was convinced that it had cost me um, first place on Saturday night. So it was it was a bit uh, bit mopey. What, what um, did you do? I traded out Ella Roberts. Um, and traded her to Kate Hoare. I needed a like a little tiny bit of money to get. I wanted to bring in Conti over um, like a Swanson or Chris Barkas type. And so, yeah, I, uh, I looked at ways of getting the money and I thought with the match-up then maybe she wouldn't quite hit her 
at the time ceiling of about 100. Um, and I thought Kate Hall might try and win the leading goal kicker. Um, I mean, it's good logic. So, yeah, I, thought, I, I just thought the difference in them in terms of scoring mightn't be all that much. But, yeah, that was um, that was wrong. So, yeah, they lost about 60 points, I think, from that trade. Um, yeah, and, yeah, I uh, what, yeah, wasn't too happy with that. Um, but luckily it uh, didn't cost me the prize. Um, that little bit sweeter. So you, you avoided a, a pretty average set of other options at that kind of 1.2 mil range. Yeah, that's right. And I was, I was, I couldn't watch her play because I was too, too scared that she'd make it even worse. <laughs> um, yeah. So it didn't end up as a disaster, but that was, yeah, probably, I think the sideways trading to get cash can be dangerous like that. Um, and it just happened. Yeah, to me in the last week. Must have a pretty good team otherwise, though, to withstand that. So that's pretty good. The final question I have is that do you have anything that you've learned, any like, you know, sideways trades are not the way to go or any kind of like bits of wisdom that you've kind of taken out of this fantasy season that you'll carry across with you, some nice little anecdotes to help us other coaches uh, and change how we think about what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, on reflection of where I think I kind of went right this season, was probably leaving my defence alone for most of the year. Um, I traded out Jordan Allen. I had a few trades at D1 actually. I went Allen to Carney and then I traded Carney out um, for some cash as well. And she went to Gab Pound but then went back to Carney eventually. Um, but, yeah, Ella had survived in my team all year just kind of doing her thing, getting – you know, no no real big ceiling scores, but she was fairly consistent. Um, but I just – I didn't really chase Hannah Priest at any time or um, any of those sort of players, um, which I think a lot of them kind of fell in the same average at the end of the year. So I think that helped just putting that money into the midfield. Um, and later on in the season, a couple of forwards came through as pretty good options. Um, so – yeah, that's one thing. And then I think the other thing I did having a look at my trades throughout the year was I, I traded off my bench pretty quickly. Um, I, as soon as the rookies made, oh, there was a couple of exceptions, um, Nan Scorn and um, like Tyna Smith made quite a lot of money and performed for a long time. But uh, there weren't that many rookies that did consistently perform. So I think if they had a, a – game that was good enough to earn a bit of money I kind of took that money pretty quickly um which yeah they a few of my rookies sat there and eventually worked themselves back down to their starting price so um yeah I think taking the money off the bench and just you even just doing like small upgrades on field regularly um yeah. was a good move and it makes sense that you would have the trades to do that if you're not screwing around with your back line every single week <laughs> other people yeah, including yeah, me right. like yeah. up a lot of trades to actually get the cash gen out yeah yeah so that was the approach I took yeah awesome it'll be interesting like to see if the defense points holds for next year too because you know completely new set of like players next year new positions but yeah. I would have said my my main take away from my improvement at the end of the year was the same thing like I, I considered at one point heads to priest 
being like, oh, maybe Hannah Priest is like a hundred averaging player. And that turned out to be the best trade to avoid. Yeah, missing those Hannah Priest bullets, I did feel for the people that trade her in it. Was she over a million dollars at one point? And then she dropped mm. a 30 and yeah, it's a bit hard to watch <laughs> as an owner, for sure. Uh, would have been satisfying to watch as a non-owner though. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't <laughs> secretly. <laughs> <laughs> like you never want a player to do bad, but when they have already done bad, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We're very excited that you've won and, you know, can't wait to see what you do next season and enjoy your car. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, great um, listening this year and really exciting to come on your podcast. Cheers. Thanks. Yeah, that was awesome that we got to speak to her. I'm just, you can probably hear my excitement on the recording, but to have a woman, a woman win the competition of the first season of aflw fantasy oh <laughs> very very happy with that absolutely stoked and and it must be said she uh she came in clutch at the end because uh Phyllis was pretty unlucky because he mm. led for about eight weeks i reckon it was uh only to be pipped at the post but still a fantastic effort by all of the coaches who made the top 100 including our very own liam plenty of awards to go around and i think that's a good way we can uh throw into our hot topics which aren't really hot topics as normal are they yes so if for any of our listeners that um have been with us since last season uh we did a kind of a end of season wrap to give some awards to the players that we liked most from the fantasy perspective and we have got a combination of outsourced and our own opinions for this one we're going to run through some awards for the end of season eight we've got a couple of awards here where we will talk about just our overall kind of favorite players and a variety of reasons and then we're going to talk through as as our own coaches from our own fantasy perspectives where we have done well and, and not so well and have a bit of a laugh as we reflect on some of the some of the things we've done over the last 10 weeks so starting off uh, if you might have seen any of these on insta or Twitter over the last couple of days but we've got the AFLW Fantasy Best and Highest, which is our version of the Best and Fairest. So it's for the overall highest and most consistent fantasy scorer. We gave three options here, or four options actually. Marinoff, uh, Garner, Gardiner, and Ashwedell. From Instagram, it's been an overwhelming result here for Marinoff, which is she gets 43% of the votes. And it's actually quite cute that Hatchard has, uh, and Hatchard has voted in our poll for Marinoff as well which is quite nice to see. And actually, that looks to be the same on Twitter as well. Do you guys agree with this? Does Ebony Marinoff get the award in your eyes? Yeah, I think so. I reckon. Like, her her ability to be, like, a constant ceiling player, like, even in the games where she gets tagged, she doesn't have a floor score. She has, she's the one who gets singled out and still has a score in the 90s. And she had a game, like, on the weekend where Adelaide looked bad and she got tagged the entire game out of every stoppage and still pumps out a score over 100. Her ceiling of that 170, I'll forever rue not VCing. But yeah, she was just awesome this year. I, I, I love Laura Gardner as F1, but I think there's another award that better suits what she did for our sides. Mm-hmm. But it was frozen and now has disappeared from our call. Um, that's, <laughs> I was like, he's really deeply pondering what you're saying here. Um, yeah, no. I agree with Marinoff. This is the first season I brought her in. I've always kind of been a Hatchard gal. Um, very happy to have pivoted away from that and brought in Marinoff and 
gosh, watching the crows is so much more enjoyable when you've got her and not Hatch out in your side. But yeah, she's just an absolute gun and Jazz Garner, very close second in my mind. Um, agree with you about Gardner being fitting for a different award. But yeah, congratulations, Ebony Marinoff. So our second award, we've got the Rose Sparkus Award for the Rookie Priced Player of the Year. So this is about someone that came in, whether they played before or not, but either way, basement priced and had an absolute blowout of a season. Our couple of noms that we put forward, we had T. Smith and George Nanscorn as two of the players that we were very confident everyone's going to start within their midfield because we spoke a lot about them in preseason. And then I would have thought that this was maybe the kind of questionable one, which is Matilda Schultz, given how much we trade our rucks during the season or talk about trading rucks. So we had T. Smith, Matilda Schultz and George and Anne Scorn as uh, options. Both Insta and Twitter have overwhelmingly agreed that Matilda Schultz is the winner of this award with 60 plus percent uh, voting for her, which is awesome. And what do you guys think? Do you agree with this? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's definitely fair enough. I mean, I think the reason that Scholes probably gets it for me over Nanscorn is because I think a lot of people, unfortunately, like myself, traded Nanscorn just before she hit that run of really good scores because she just wasn't quite cutting it as a midfield on-field option, so she was a good player to trade in for cash. Whereas in Scholes, the ruck trade wasn't necessary and she just grew into the season, basically became essentially the number one ruck by the end of the year, so... I think Schultz is definitely fair enough. Agreed. I think it's all a question of timing. I think it's the fact that, like, Will, you talked about the transfer of ruck force from Morfitt to Schultz in the game where they played against each other. Schultz timed her run to go back to 70s plus perfectly after a run of 60s. Whereas Nanscorn, if we were doing this purely MM, I would say she's the rookie of the year because... It meant that she, like I was not looking to trade her out. And by the time I was looking to trade her out, she'd put together an 80 and a 90 back-to-back and had time on ground again. So like, it was an awesome hold. But because of the extreme nature of price changes, like Schultz's ability to stick in my ruck spot all year and cover over the fact that mm. I didn't have a premium was part of the reason I was able to kind of go up the rankings in the final month. Yeah, I think a lot of the reason people would voted Schultz is because they still had her, kind of yeah. like you guys said, that she's the one that stayed. So she's front of mind because they look at their side and they're like, oh, look, Schultz is there. I do I do love that it's Schultz, so I think that's really cool. And uh, Third most points for Rux, total points. Yeah, crazy. Having said that, I think it's pretty clear that the real winner of this poll is indeed George Nanscorn. For who voted for George Nanscorn? Liam? Yeah, I mean, we love seeing, we're going to talk about a few more of them, but we love, absolutely love seeing A4W players engage with us on Instagram. And to see George and Anne's corn vote for herself was just beautiful. Back yourself, right? <laughs> so moving in, in the, on the opposite of that, moving into our third award, the Break Even Breakout Award for the best fantasy score improvement. So this is someone that came in uh, with a price stat, absolutely blew that out of the park, super low break even, just made a, a lot of money. And our nominations, pretty obvious ones here. We've got Laura Gardner, Sally Goldsworthy, and Ali Morfitt. Ali Morfitt is so humbled that she actually voted for Laura Gardner, which is Probably because she didn't interesting to see. Her, didn't vote for her in the uh, best player of the year, so thought might throw her a bone here. Yep, fair. She's like, oh, got to make up for this now. So Instagram has overwhelmingly gone with Laura Gardner. Liam, what have we seen from Twitter? 
Twitter has said exactly the same thing. Over 70% of the votes that we had were for Laura Gardner. Second was for Zali Goldsworthy. And then third to Morfitt. I think the fact that Morfitt was unfortunately kind of dropped out of consideration just as people were looking to upgrade their rucks probably influenced influenced that to a degree. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, actually, who made the most cash? Uh, it was Gene <sighs> Season Anscombe change. Again. Gene Anscombe, followed by Goldsworthy and then Gardner. So if you were going to go purely on that, it would be Goldsworthy, but... That's kind of impacted a lot by the end of season scoring. So Goldsworthy had that 140, well, no, sorry, the 160 in her price cycle, whereas Gardner had basically just like flat 110s in yeah, the final Yeah, very consistent. Year. Yeah. So I'm happy to go with that. And does give us a little bit of satisfaction uh, based on how much you guys have been talking about Gardner, which we will not go into <laughs> on this spot otherwise. <laughs> now. Oh, golly. Moving on, we had the Stable Master Award for the AFLW Coach of the Year, so the one that best managed their players to get the highest fantasy scoring. Options here, no surprise, we had Scott Gowans for the amazing scores we saw from Gardner, Morford, Heads and Malloy. Matthew Clark for Noffy Hatch and Neve Kelly, except, uh, you know, the last round. And <laughs> Natalie Wood for Bonnie Too Good, Maddie Prisparkas and Jean Nanscorn, to name a few. Instagram has given us... Scott Gowans, which I think is probably influenced by the number of Sydney players that voted <laughs> in, our, in our poll. Um, and looks like just by a, a slim margin, we had the same from Twitter. But I can see that there's a, a large number of other votes there. Liam, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah. So I, I disagree with who we've picked here on two fronts. One, I think of the three options that were available to pick, I think Natalie Wood is the number one. And then I actually made a mistake. The the best, the, the Stable Master Award, I believe, should go to Michael Crocker from North Melbourne because the magic work they have done with that midfield rotation to allow just the right amount of time on ground for all of their midfielders, so King, Bruton, Riddell, Garner, to score well and up their averages on previous seasons was just mwah, chef's kiss. Like they have got that down to a fine art, having them all around that 70, high 70s, low 80s percent. Never mind like Bresnahan having her mm. best season, Carney mm-hmm. putting up consistent scores, giving the right amount of free reign for Carney to go higher up the ground. I think we even saw a little bit of a mini breakout from Amy Smith again because she was given a little bit of CBAs, particularly when Bruton wasn't in the side. I think that what Crocker did to allow for good fantasy scoring on that team was pretty spectacular. But of the votes, Nat Wood, I think, gets it because what the role that was given to Bonnie was so incredible that it needs to be commended because she got given the right amount of midfield time, high half forward time, deep forward time for goal. She gets dropped behind the ball at the ends of quarters or when the Bombers are trying to salt away the game. Just the perfect scoring role for an absolute superstar. So that's I feel very strongly about that. Uh, but I can see why Scowans get given it. I just think that like you could ask a few questions about fiddling with CBA balances and also... Maybe a bit of frustration with unpredictable use of taggers 
I know that that doesn't come into the criteria, but the is Tanya going to tag or not has ruined some seasons, I'm sure. And so, you know, maybe there's a the slightest sour tinge coming from Scott mm. Gowans. I do agree on your comment about Essendon. We've seen a number of players have that same two good role. We saw it like Frederick have it and benefit massively from it. We saw and on your tag have it and benefit massively from it. So we know that that's a, a common role that can be very, very good for fantasy. But when you add that in addition with the other kind of players that have had very beneficial roles, uh, I think that makes sense. She probably should have ended up a little bit higher than the consistent third place there. But you've got to go for Sydney. I mean, that is second season to finish. I mean, I know Essendon did as well, but Essendon were charging right off the bat um, when they started in their first season last year and Swans were not. (laughs) So they've had an absolute massive turnaround and a massive turnaround in fantasy scoring as well. Uh, Will? Just just to put a a little bow on that one. For me, the reason I give to Scott Gowans is assuming that you say Laura Gardner is actually a midfielder, even though she was a yeah. forward in, in the game. The reason I rate it is because they've essentially got a top pl- or top player on every single line. You've got heads down back, Malloy up forward, Gardner in the midfield and Morford in the ruck. To me, that's what makes Scott Gowans the number one fantasy coach overall. I really rate Natalie Wood's ability to get the role for good for a couple of players, such as Too Good and Nan Scorn eventually. But to me, as an overall, I think Gowan just pips it by just having a top-line player on every single line. I think the only thing on reflection as well that I might question is, like, there's probably still more juice to squeeze from that side. Like, I think Heads had a few down weeks where Zagetti and McAvoy were chopping and changing roles with heads and it was a bit unclear who was playing what. And then Malloy, she had some downscoring reeks in the middle of the year where that role wasn't amazing and it didn't seem like she was linking up well in that midfield. So maybe that's why I'm a little bit down because, yes, I fully agree, top liners for everyone. I just think there was less like more potential there given the ceiling that we saw from each of those players this year. And on the flip side... The un- if that was the Stable Master Award for the best coach, then we've got the essentially the Uncoach of the Year Award um, for the AFLW coach that worst managed their fantasy team. And Nick, uh, Liam, this wasn't one that you were going to put in to begin with, and I was like, well, given the amount of time that this has been discussed, this has got to come up, surely. Um, we didn't do this one on Instagram, but just on the Twitter space, uh, Twitter area, we had Nick Del Santo for St Kilda, Cam Bernasconi for GWS and Lisa Webb for Fremantle. Seems that a lot of people agree with you on Twitter, Liam. Yes, it's it's Nick Del Santo, and I think it's almost certainly down to Hannah Priest. Like, there's f- more than 50% of people who voted on Twitter said it was Nick Del Santo, and I guarantee you that, that all of those voters, that all of those voters had Hannah Priest in their side. And that role change just just destroyed all scoring. Sorry, well, is that a fresh hand up to say that something or is that an old hand? hand? Okay, fresh, fresh hand. hand. What do you got for us? Um, yeah, I think I think Lisa fresh Webb's, hand. unfortunately. I think uh, Lisa Webb's been uh, very unlucky to not get this one because I think that her consistency across the year for interesting decisions such as Hayley Miller <laughs> not playing up, uh, up there mm. and Stanek going into the midfield and scoring worse... 
I think I think uh, Lisa Webb's pretty hard done by here. Um, I think Nick Del Santo's Hannah Priest one's probably the worst one for the year, but I think Lisa Webb's track record probably should have got her got here the nod here. Yeah, what I find interesting is like we've got one obvious boo boo here for St Kilda with Hannah Priest, but then Fremantle just very large number of players just getting shuffled in some very weird positions. So I would actually as you know, and then also some shocking losses. So I'd actually give it to Frio. As a, as a Frio supporter, no, this one's a bit personal. <laughs> this one's a bit Yes. But also it's funny that you, um, like, we're pretty much putting the, the St Kilda one to Hannah Priest. When we were talking to Bryony, she was like, one of the best things I did was avoid shuffling my back line and actually just sidestepping that whole Priest drama, just not riding the wave up and then riding the wave down of that. And that saved her a couple of extra trades and some consistency. So from a fantasy perspective, actually not jumping on the Priest bandwagon was the right thing to do. Yeah. I also think that probably underselling the fact that I believe that in that St Kilda side, there are multiple good fantasy scorers that are being wasted. I think we know that Tiana Smith has a higher ceiling. We know that Georgia Patrikios has a much, much higher ceiling. We've seen it from them in the past under a different regime. They are consistently extremely low for marks. The inability to use their backline to score any points. B Jacobson has been close to a. She's been a top 10 defender in the past, and she was crap coming off halfback this year as a fantasy scorer. So I think you can give it to him, Nick Del Santo, for all of those reasons, but that the banner decision is priest. I don't want to, however, let Cam Berlusconi off the hook because what he has <laughs> done in their game plan to Tani Evans is outrageous. How you do not... So I, I got bored on the, way, on the tram on the way home today and I was looking at the season-ending stats for the year. There was one player inside the top 10 for meters game this year who has a disposal efficiency above 70. It is Tani Evans, and she is six percentage points clearer than every other person in there. And yet you decide, no, she should not take all kick-ins. Yes, she should have less time on the ground. And no, you shouldn't have a game plan that gets the ball in her hand more often. The fact that their game plan seemed to be predicated on just handballing to whomever was there, even if it was a ruck, is ridiculous. It is the most infuriating side I have ever watched in my life. Fantasy scoring, fine. Lise Parker's good at football. I, he should not be forgiven for having her as a full-time forward in the preseason and to start the season. That was absolutely outrageous. The fact that it took until round six and seven to give Zali Goldsworthy, a proper CBA midfield role. Absolutely stupid. But it's just the fact that they've got all of these bloody good footballers and they can't seem to win anything that as much as it might not impact the fantasy side because they actually had some good fantasy scorers this year and some very relevant names, I am infuriated watching this side because they are so good players-wise. I love watching the players. I hate watching the system. End yeah. rant. Well... I mean, simple solution there. Do a bit of a shuffle with your coaching and we could be having a full team worth of GWS players in our fantasy side next year, which could be good. I'm excited. And I think that leads very well into the 91 Degrees Award, which is the last one that we went out to the public on, which was the fantasy defender who took the most advantage of essentially just leaving the goal square, getting those extra points. And this is a, a, a special one because we've spent a lot of this season ranting about our backline and the <laughs> lack of consistency in the defenders. So let's give some of them some love. 
We had Chantel Emerson, Tani Evans, and Emma Carney as our options. This was actually really close on Instagram. We had both Emma Carney and Tani Evans, 38 39%. So going to call that a tie. And also very close on Twitter. Looks like Emma Carney came out just ahead again, but quite a few people voting in the other column here. Liam, what's the hot take from uh, the Twitter stats? The hot take from the Twitter stats, and I'd love to thank Jaden Papowski, legend of the community, for his stats work here for correctly identifying the fact that this award was created specifically for one player in mind, and that is Chantel Emmonson, who, congratulations to her. The 91 Degrees Award for leaving the square goes to her because she left the goal square on every single one of her kick-ins. She had 165 free points this year just from kick-ins, which is, whatever it is, 28 points higher than the next highest player. 27 yeah, points that's higher insane. than the next highest player in Chelsea Bedell. And yep. then it's Evans Who's at Who's not on this option. And- it, it was it was a you know the options were fantasy relevancy st- slanted because you know Emma Carney also leaves the square all the time on her kick-ins. It's just North don't actually take a lot of kick-ins because they're winning a lot of games. But the yeah, Emerson was the player here. She that was incredible. She made herself incredibly fantasy relevant by adding sixteen and a half points per week to her score just by leaving the goal square. Incredible work. I, would ex- I was expecting more love from Will for this is award geared right in his direction. I am disappointed in everyone for not picking Chantel Emmonson simply because Fair. Chantel Emmonson I still think is possibly the most underrated player in the competition. Um, but yeah, it's incredible the amount of points that some defenders get from just leaving the square. Good on them. Yep. Unfortunately, she came last in both of our polls. Yeah, I know. But, that's you know. why I'm very <laughs> Even though that, she actually statistically that's won. What, that's what the stunned silence was for. Like, yeah, honestly, people. Yeah. Anyway, our final award, which we didn't put out to the socials because it's really just about us being doofuses, which is the Silent Simmer Award. For players that slowly improved in the background but never really made it onto our radar until they were already in the top five. <laughs> <laughs> for their line, pretty much. So we've got Ange Stanett, Sabrina Frederick, Sarah Rowe, and Steph Wales. Steph Wales still surprises me that she's in there. Like, I feel like the others we've spoken about at least for, like, a tiny little bit in the last three to four weeks. Steph Wales, I think, got one mention. Yep. So that's who gets my my vote for that. But also her position, right? She's a ruck. Like, no one's, no one's trading to Steph Wales. No, not until very late. And I think, yeah. I think like... Steph Wales was the one that I was intrigued by, but I actually think, you know, I think it's probably for me, Sabrina Frederick. It was the fact that she had such a crap round one role-wise, and I actually genuinely don't believe she was going to play as a ruck this year if it wasn't for the Imi Barnett injury in round two. Cause yep, that, that's absolutely correct. This, this is a, a role that has come through opportunity due to injury, and I'm perfectly happy to say that I was absolutely wrong on Sabrina Frederick, even if it was because of uh, the the reasons why I wasn't keen on Sabrina Frederick to start the year was sound. But once that the the other rucks were basically removed from the picture, Sabrina Frederick has basically put herself into a position where she could genuinely win Collingwood's Best and Ferris this year, as good as her year has been. Yeah, I think that's my 
that's my vote for the silent simmer. It's like it, we kind of got to round seven and eight. We're like, oh, we we need Sabs Frederick in our team. Like she's a legit option. She puts up hundreds, and we're not giving it enough respect. Because I actually think that like Anne Stannett, on the other hand, rated a mention all the time. We just disrespected her because we didn't trust Fremantle. We didn't mm. trust Lisa Webb going to what we were discussing earlier. So I think the Silent Simmer Award for me, my I reckon it's Sabs Frederick. Yeah, it wasn't really until I saw her run from the ruck to the forward line and then when she went off and she had to come back on because I didn't have a ruck. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that is a really important role. Like that, those points are going to stay. So, yeah. Uh, but no, I still give it to Steph Wales. Okay, so that's the ones that we put out to the public. And thank you to everyone that voted on those both on Instagram and on Twitter. We really appreciate hearing what you thought about your season as well especially all the players on Instagram <laughs> that, that voted. We love to see your interactions. Then we've got some of our individual awards. So this is us just patting ourselves on the back or punching ourselves in the face based on what we did in our own seasons. Couple here. Let's start off with the Starting Squad Success Award for your best starting squad choice. So this is kind of someone that you put in your initial side and we actually asked – you would have already heard, but we asked these same questions to Bryony, um, and so we can be comparing our answers. But someone that you put in your side and it paid off. Liam, yours is someone you've spoken about a lot. It's Laura Gardner with a with a with a honourable mention to Ash Riddell because they were both great picks, top five scorers for the year. I'm very happy. I'm not going to belabor the point for the first time about the pair of them this season, this recording season. Will. Someone, have you had this player in your side the whole time? I've had this player in my side the entire time. And wow. she came through in the final round. Isla Sheeran, one of her friends of the pod. Basically, very, very consistent. Very, very happy that I started with her and thought she was always going to be in the conversation to be a top five player and, of course, was to finish the year. That's impressive. The, the put in your side to begin with and the hold. And um, for mine, it was really tricky because there's a lot of players I started with that I don't think as many people maybe started with that did very well, except that I've traded them all out at terrible times. But I'm going to give mine to Sally Goldsworthy. I reckon that she was quite lowly owned in round one. Low compared to where she finished, I will say. So I'm very happy to have had her uh, in my side when she was nice and cheap at the beginning of the season. And we'll get into a little bit later why she wasn't there at the end. It was a banger. Was it was a banger first trade. Banger first pick. Sorry. Probably even mm. lower owned after round one. In fact, which was uh, unfortunate. <laughs> mm. On the on the flip side of that, we've got our starting squad failure award for your worst starting choices. I'm just going to go first because I had a good giggle out of mine a little bit later, which was <laughs> Ange Foley. Um, she got yeah. a 19, which is great. Um, and people were talking about maybe trading her in later in the season, and I was like, oh. But <laughs> I traded her out after round one. Turns out that 19 was not her lowest score, but she <laughs> <laughs> had some very high scores after that. And my thing glitched. It gave me two Ange Foley's in my team, which looked even funnier to begin with. But I actually also have... Two Ange Foley A4W fantasy trading cards. So that's kind of nice. Nice with little one, memory. But the card split into two as she was holding them. So <laughs> it duplicated. What about you guys? 
Will, I can relate to this. Yeah, for me it was Hayley Miller, friend of the pod, but gee, it wasn't a season to remember, at least from fantasy's perspectives for Hayley Miller. Uh, popular trade-in after the Bowers laid out, scored a 54. I think the thing that was most frustrating about Hayley Miller was she then scored two good scores, 190, and from that point onwards just completely crashed in terms of her scoring. Mm. Um, I was I was bullish on Hayley Miller, and this year just it was not to be for Hayley Miller, so... No. Yeah, unfortunately, it's... a player I started with and was very happy to get rid of when I eventually could. It started our relationship poorly with Fremantle on that in that hour we had <laughs> and it only bad got worse. score and then a Bowers late out. But not as almost as bad as my starting squad failure, and that was Brooke Brown, who just ugh, frustrated me in that first game. What should have been a better matchup against Hawthorne and yeah, put up a forty three. She she lasted one week in my side, and it was followed by the average pickup of Annalise Lister, which ruined my round two as well. So she gets a, a double a double whammy of sadness. I, I I think the thing I missed here was it's actually Emma Carney who was uh, very good at telling Brooke Brown where she needed to go with the ball when she was at North Melbourne, and then she didn't have Emma Carney with her in defence at Essendon, and that meant that she took a little while to actually get comfortable with that role as the, the key distributor down back. She started with a 43, no? Like, I was, I think I was watching that game. It wasn't bad. Oh, but it, it, was, it was bad. She was also a, a prime issue with not leaving the goal square. I think she had, like, four kick-ins and she left the square only once in that first game and it killed me. I think this mm. one's also compounded because Liam talked a big, big game on Brooke Brown. I actually think that's the... Best starting squad failure out of captaining Haley Miller for a last minute trade in and Ange Foley. <laughs> I reckon for her forty three probably got more than a number of Will's defenders in round nine. In round nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I was like, Will's not laughing at my joke, but he's frozen again. Yeah, it was apologies. funny. Can you hear me again? Yes. Good. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think this one stung Liam particularly hard because he he talked big on Brooke Brown the the. Star Essendon recruit, and it didn't quite pan out, unfortunately. But and for most of us, we had some pretty pretty bad ones throughout the season, and we're going to move into the next award, which is the season ruining trade. And we've decided that we're going to rename this award every year. And for those who've been following us for the whole time, this year it is the Abby Dowrick Award, our most unfortunate trade of the year. Basically, for when you've traded someone at an inopportune time, such as, unfortunately, when Liam last year traded out Abby Dowrick for cash before she scored 146, derailing his season. So, Liam doesn't really have a trade that uh, derailed his season, but Mal and I have probably got some pretty good examples. So, we'll start with you, Liam, and we'll get progressively worse from that point. Yeah, so uh, there is one trade that I could give it to, but I think I'm going to talk about it later in another award. And my season ruiner, it didn't ruin my season completely. It just bloody frustrated me. Um, and it was it was going Ash Riddell to Charlie Rowbottom. Um, trading out Ash Riddell sucked. It was, it, I overthought everything to do with this trade. Even if I bought in a great player like Rowbottom, there was a, there was a world where I could have traded out Brie Davy as well. I 
I didn't think about the fact that Ash Riddell was just going to score well no matter what matchup she had, and I shouldn't have tried to play around with my premiums too early in the season. So that was super annoying, and that's it's not a season ruiner, but it just sucked a lot. Yeah, that that was an unfortunate one, but as I said, you're the one that's ended up with the hat, so yours doesn't come anywhere near close to to me and Mal. And uh, I'm I'm going to start with with my one, which is. The event which I call the Bresnahan debacle. Because my trade was a trade that really derailed my season. And to give those who may not remember some context, I traded in Gab Pound in round three. She scored a good score and then a poor score, but enough to make more money. And I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cash in on this uh, price increase of Gab Pound. I'm going to get myself a premium. And that premium that I picked was Nicole Bresnahan. I had Nicole Bresnahan in my team for one week. She got injured with her syndesmosis injury and scored a 15. This basically derailed my season because it's the trade that I did to fix that trade, which has completely ruined my season. And for most of the week, that trade was Bresnahan to Charlie Thomas. But 10 minutes (laughs) before the game, I decided to trade for money and bring in Claudia Gonjaka. And the rest, as they say, is history, because that has basically ruined my entire season. And despite the fact that Claudia Gonjaka is a good shout for all Australians, she did not continue her point scoring. And Charlie Robottom went on to be probably the highest scoring defender for the rest of the year. A player that I never managed to get back into my team. <laughs> you've, done, that, my f- you've done a, a very kind thing, Will. Is the Bresnahan debacle. You've, you've kindly named it the Bresnahan debacle, not the Gunjaka debacle. And the reason I, the reason the, I did that is the because... The Meljaka The reason I did that is because I thought about it strongly, and unfortunately, if I had have gone for any other premium defender other than Nicole Bresnahan, I wouldn't have been in that position. So it was the trade That's to Bresnahan true. that actually caused the whole thing in the first place. And it's just unfortunate that it was due to an injury, but... That basically meant that my backline was playing catch-up the whole season. I'd wasted trades. It was just a shambles. So, unfortunately, it was actually Pound to Bresnahan that was the ruiner, and it was the Bresnahan to Gunjaka that just really capped it off. Cherry on top. Cherry on top. Uh, yep. And, and Mel was there to see the whole thing happen live, so... Yes, but also I was there live for the other Geelong game we were at where you're like, actually, I think this started with Bresnahan. And I was like, yes, (laughs) let's go with that. So Mel was there to witness both of my terrible decisions, which is is wonderful. I think it's safe to say we've been to a lot of games together this season. Yeah, but uh, I think mine in terms of how it ruined my season was probably, probably worse than yours, Mel, but... The net sum of what you traded, I think, is is one of the reasons why this one is definitely in contention. Round two, tell us what happened. Yeah, so this is actually, like, in hindsight, an amazing story. And this is my favourite story from this season of AFLW Fantasy. I spent ages on the pod talking about how no one should be breaking their team to get powers. Very strongly with you, Will. Yep. And then I went out and... The best part about this is that I ended up being right, which is the reason why this trade is even better. Yes. So you and I were like, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely no. 
And then I went and thought about it and I was like, my team is Bowers down to me. But actually, actually I'd like Bowers. So I actually, and we say, you know, break your team to get Bowers. I shattered. I destroyed my team <laughs> to get Bowers. I threw out every good player I had to get Bowers. <laughs> and I didn't actually appreciate this at the time. And I went back and looked and I was like, oh, my fucking God. I traded. This is who I traded out. Sheeran, who finished as a top five defender, who I had in my side in round two. Riddell, who ended as a top five midfielder. <laughs> and so we've got a top five defender, a top five midfielder, and a top five forward in Zali Goldsworthy. Yeah. So I traded out the three three of the best players of the entire <laughs> season so that I had enough money to get Bowers. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it, it, it's staggering in hindsight, really. It is. It is. When when you wrote that down and when you when you put that in our run sheet like a week ago, I laughed so hard because <laughs> it's uh, it's literally unbelievable. Yeah. Like we would not have predicted they were all good. At, like we knew Riddell was good, but like we knew they would know. be good. And I, th- I think not- one of the things about it is Isla Sheeran had just come off a fifty nine, which was her second worst score for the year, and mm. Goldsworthy started the year with a twenty. So mm. at the time, it kind of made sense. Mm. It's the hindsight part that really gets you because obviously yeah. a couple of weeks later, Goldsworthy goes on an absolute tear. Sheeran just consistently put out 70s. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just one of those yep. ones where you go, you know what? It made sense at the time, but gee, it didn't work out in the end. No. So have I learnt my lesson just because I didn't bring in Bowers this season uh, towards the end of the season again? Which I wanted to, but I was like, no, that would just be a nuts thing to do. So, but yeah, that was that was pretty funny. So we've we've talked about the trades that have ruined our season, and my trades have definitely ruined uh, my season. Um, but now we'll talk about the good ones because, despite the fact that Mel and I have had roller coasters of years, we did do some pretty good trades, and Liam, of course, has done some pretty good ones as well to get himself where he did end up. So. The season-making trade award, best trade of the year. Basically, when have you done a trade that's gone in a good time? What's made you some good money? What's got you a lot of points where other people might have missed out? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go in the opposite order here because we know Liam's done some fantastic trades this year. So, Mel, <laughs> what was your trade of the season? Hmm, I've put mine down to just before round eight. I traded Kate Hall to Bonnie Too Good, and I really like this trade. You know, it might not be the most exciting trade ever, but. I really like this because I had sound logic for the trade out and sound logic for the trade in, and I was right for the rest of the season with it. So that that makes me feel really good. And I don't pat myself on the back that often because I don't do that many things good in trades that often. But looking at Kate Horn being like, yeah, I don't think she's going to get that same role. I think she's one to trade out. And then looking at Bonnie Toogood going, wow, that's someone that we did not see coming. She's also got a really good role. She's a trade in. Um, and in that specific round, Kate Hall got a 59, body too good, only got 100 because of that was the unexpected, mind-boggling loss to West Coast, which I don't think anyone really saw coming there. But, yeah, pretty happy with that one. Nice. I think the trade-out of Hall particularly was was good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think my trade-in, we've talked about it a lot, is, is it's a pretty obvious one, which was bringing in Ali Morford in round two. 
missed out on the, the one rookie ruck that was actually worth having on field in Matilda Scholes. So I went, you know what? I'm going to go for something a bit different. Ali Morford for a good six rounds of the season was clearly the best ruck going around. It was one of the one of the reasons I actually stayed in and around the competition was basically that I had an extra 20 points on most other players uh, in the ruck. So Ali Morford from Aaron Hall, clearly my best trade of the season. Liam, you've probably got a, a few that you can reel off here, but what was your number one trade? Oh, like, now that we've been talking about it, like, I'm not sure the one that I've written down is my actual favourite. I think, one, like, 1B one is going Annalise Lister after round three up to Charlie Thomas, who, on my quick maths, before she came into my side, she averaged a 54. From there on out, she averaged 80. So, like, very happy with how I did there. But I actually think, this if we're talking about the, the trade that made my season, it was... End of round five, I'd done a bit of loophole action. I, I, I did not want to have to rely on having Aaron Phillips on field. And I just thought I'd get by with Tiana Smith at M5 for the week. And so I was like, I'm going to have a look at both Phillips and Kaufman. And Kaufman had scored better, but we'd all been at that game live. And the role was just off. I'd expected better. That was the week that Bowers was out. And it was just weird. She looked really good in the first half, but had no tackles and then sat forward. And so I went, you know what? I, I As much as she scored like a 60 or something that week and looked all right, I went, nah, that, this, the vibes are just off here. Traded her out and took her across to Zali Goldsworthy, who's, who'd been someone that I'd been advocating for other people to trade in for two weeks and who proceeded to just look absolutely incredible. From, from that week out, like, put together an awesome run of scoring, 90, 100, 168, 91, and 103. So that was the trade that truly, like, made my season in that I wasn't locked into a super subpar, you know, specky pick at F5, and I actually nailed in a top-line forward. So that's the one that absolutely kind of set my season on the right path in those final few rounds. Yeah, nice. And it kind of leads well to our last uh, fantasy-related uh, award in this sense, which is the Should Have Listened to My Own Advice <laughs> Award. You've just talked about an example of where you've listened to your own advice there, Liam, bringing Goldsworthy, but all of us have had uh, stages throughout this season where we haven't quite uh, practised what we preached, per se, mm. and it has been to our detriment, so... Let's quickly run through those ones. Liam, what was the trade advice that you gave that you pretty much then did the opposite of? Oh, it was 100% round one kind of trying to talk down the performance of Aaron Phillips and say, hey, let's not like get too over eager here. Like, let's realize that, you know, that game, there'd been an absurdly high number of marks. I think Aaron Phillips may have had like nine and that had led to kind of a really, really nice score to start the year. I just then didn't listen to myself and I proceeded to trade her into my side, which which really sucked. Um, and, and, and I got sucked up by like the hype of people saying, you know, that role looked really good and rada, rada, rada. And it's one of those times where I should have just listened to myself and said, no, that was actually a, a weird a weird game. Don't trade into outlier scores and outlier games. Like the same way I advocated for holding the horses a bit on Geelong, which kind of turned out to be relatively accurate because of the absurd nature of that game. 
Unfortunately, I didn't do the same with Aaron Phillips, and that kind of put me back a few weeks in my forward line until I managed to get her out for that round five set of trades. Yeah, very nice. It was uh, one that I think a lot of people saw Aaron Phillips and thought, it's Aaron Phillips, can't really go wrong, and then indeed it did go wrong. Uh, Mel, <laughs> wow, talked a, what talked a wrap a bit about your, your one already, but we'll touch on it again. You got to bow yeah. us down to this one. Yeah, that's a good pun. Um, I got to bow us down to making terrible trades. Yeah, it was it was the rant about not breaking your side for Bowers and then doing exactly that. Um, yeah, you can't really get better in, any better than that. I don't get yeah. ranty that often, but that was one I felt quite strongly about. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it you was, know. <laughs> it was rather impressive for, for you to, to go on such a tear about that one and then just to be like, actually, you know what? I think I am going to ruin my team. Mm. Um, and then you being like, well, you were a few weeks later, you're like, I am angry at you for not listening to your own I advice, you, you idiot. Because, because <laughs> we, we were talking about in the episode, you were agreeing with me. I was like, nice, we're on the same wavelength. And <laughs> not only did you go against that, but it didn't work in your favour. And I'm like, Mel, you had the pieces and you still ignored it. Um, my, yep. I, I'm going to go launch into mine now, which basically continues to lead on from my poor trading as well, which is, again, the Bresnahan debacle. Just pick Charlie Thomas. Just pick the best available option is usually the best available option for a reason. Hmm. So instead of just going, you know what, I'm going to try someone who might score maybe 10 points less but get $100,000 cash and then I can work a few trades here and there. No, just pick the best player, Will. Pick Charlie Thomas. This is a game with the price rises and the short season where we actually can afford premiums. In like majority of the, the spots on our side, so pick the best available player. That's the easiest way. And uh, mm. yeah, I did the opposite of that, and I went Specky. And as Liam's often pointed out, it, it took me a while to get into the season and do something stupid, but it did happen eventually. It inevitably happens. But I was pretty proud of myself for showing self restraint for as long as I did, to be honest. So I'm gonna say it, you, I don't think you did something stupid. You just did something just too speculative, way, way, way too speculative. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> we all, I overthought all of my trades for about six weeks. So, like, you know, we all have our traits when it comes to trading. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're going to wrap up those awards there and finish with a couple of just sort of personal awards. We've got more general ones, which are just our favourite things that happen throughout the season. First one, your favourite FLW fantasy moment of the season. So it might have been a score that you're really happy with, a game where someone that you mightn't have had in your team but did really, really well, um, scored a big score, something like that. Just what was your favourite fantasy moment? And I'll start with you, Mel, because I I really like this one of yours. Yeah, so mine was... I have... uh a big affiliation for any player once we interview them, and especially if I can be on the interview. They're a friend of the pod and they are I'm a big fan. And being able to go to the Was I there? No, I can't no, I was not. I'm gonna say it again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it was on the Gold Coast. Um, I was, like, so. was I there? No, that was round one. Um not going to the Gold Coast. Ca- there. The Gold Cards. Yeah. So um <laughs> mine is that once we interview a player, they become Someone that I'm very interested in, I will watch them in every game. I will watch games to watch them specifically. And 
this season we got to interview Jack Depay for the Gold Coast Suns and watching and she's just such a sweetheart and then watching her in round two have a mammoth game she got three goals it was just absolutely heartwarming I really really loved being able to see that it paid off in the fantasy points I think she got like a 120 or something against West Coast in that round something huge but yeah it just when you can see someone be so happy and it also translate into the game you love so much is great. But I will also add that after round two, I was invited to, to talk about the AFLW round on the ABC and I got to talk about how big of a round that was. So that was just cherry on top. Absolutely. Heartwarming stuff. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw to Liam next and I'd like to say that in the run sheet, I did have this one as mine originally, but I'm going to, I'm going to get Liam to talk about it because I've, I've got, a, I had a second one that was very close behind and this one is too good for someone not to talk about. So Liam, give us your moment. It was like sitting down, I think it was a Saturday afternoon in round eight and it will forever just be known as the Zali game because she tackled absolutely everything she kicked. She had two goals to three-quarter time, and I think she was already on 100 points. And then in that final quarter, down by two goals to Carlton, she proceeds to kick three in the final quarter and end up on 168 with a stat line of 24 possessions, seven marks, 12 tackles, uh, three free kicks, four, and five goals. It That like final quarter and just watching her just go hog wild and score a basquillion points and then also win the game for them. And like the additional benefit of like the, the reaction she had, like I get the feeling she thinks she's bloody good at football and she is, but mm-hmm. she really rates herself. She it's knows very, it. She really knows it because her celebrations are hilarious, which actually leads to me to my favorite AFLW moment of the season completely. And you would expect me to say it's like watching Essendon win at Windy Hill. No, it's watching the video of Zali helping herself up. (laughs) I have watched that at least like 15 times. It is the funniest video of the year. Were you watching that game? Yes, I was. I was dying Mm. with laughter live and I have watched it again. It's still funny. It is my favorite moment, possibly in any sport this year. It is hilarious comedy. I, that think, is a, uh, I was watching that game and I was like, what did I just see? <laughs> did, I, did I just see that? Because that's what that looked like. And I was like, and The additional oh. like, cherry on top is the fact that she does it with a look of disdain. Like, why the fuck yeah. am I doing this? It yeah, looks around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too good. Liam's jumped ahead because we've got a segment which is was going to be the favourite AFLW moment of the season. But because of that, I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you, Mel. Your favourite AFLW moment of the season beyond Jack DePie and going on radio is again a Gold Coast related one. We yes. love Gold Coast here, so. I do love Gold Coast. Gold Coast, uh, my fourth favourite side for anyone that's uh, got their full ladder of the 18 clubs <laughs> uh, ready. But, oh man, so something that Will and I have been doing a lot of if you follow us on Instagram is hanging around after the games, meeting the players, especially meeting the players that we have interviewed for a podcast, meeting them in person, which is just absolutely awesome. I cannot believe that AFLW is still in it's this beautiful period where it's big enough, but it's small enough that you can actually have relationships with players. And Will has always been my uh, cheer woman. And then I was at that round one Suns game by myself. And I was like, you know what? I've already spoken to Tara a few times. I'm just going to go speak to her again on my own. 
went up to her, had a great chat with the captain of the Suns, talking about like all of the things that they did well, things that they didn't do well, hearing her thoughts on the game. And I was like, this is crazy. This is absolutely amazing. I just, wow, I reckon we're going to look back in AFLW in a few years and be like, well, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, or they're like swarmed with people or whatnot. So yeah, that was just insane. But also, yeah, just how much, uh, how much we, you know, have grown our confidence talking about AFLW. Because I reckon that uh, when we first started playing this fantasy game, we did not know anywhere near as much, or well, maybe will, but Liam and I did not know anywhere near as much as we know now about this sport. So it's a, it's a good reflection on how much our confidence and our knowledge has grown. Yes, always remember to thank your local historian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. I, I think to sum it up, my, my favourite AFLW fantasy moment of the season was actually in round one, was Darcy Maloney scoring in 93. It's a bit of a niche one, but I started with Darcy Maloney on my side. Darcy Maloney is one of my absolute favourite players, and to see her have such a great round one was really, really satisfying to watch. That first mm. round was one of my favourite moments of the season. They absolutely smashed the dogs. I got to meet Darcy Vessio that day, which was really <sighs> random, but it was, it was great to meet them. Mm. Um, but, I, but I think along the line of what Mal was saying, the, the fact that we've been blessed to be able to talk to so many of the players, they're all so welcoming and happy to have a chat. For those of you who have followed me on Instagram would know that I have a hat with signatures of the players that we've interviewed on this show and my hat is nearly full with mm. signatures and while I still haven't managed to get a hat from AFL Fantasy I'm forever going to be grateful that this program has enabled me to get that hat because it's something I'll cherish forever and I just got to thank all the players that have been willing to, to talk with us and sign my hat and make me a very, very happy man. But yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic season and I think we've got plenty of people that we can thank along the way. Mal, you've got something to say? Oh, I was just going to say, we're going to have to uh, get the sewing kit out and make that a Legionnaire's hat for next uh, next season because we like, we've had massive like 40 interviews of players or something so far. If we can have... Half as many as that next season. You're going to need some more space for signatures. I'm probably going to need another hat, to be Someone honest. So an attachment. I'm going to need a bigger hat. <laughs> gonna need a, I'm going to have to get a sombrero, <laughs> I reckon, with the AFLW oh. logo on the front. And just Incredible. get them to sign that. But yeah, I, I guess that probably brings us to the end of what has been a massive season and a massive season wrap. Hopefully you've managed to stick through it because it's been a bloody long one. But this program wouldn't be what it was without... A huge number of people, of course, we've got Mal, who's done a fantastic job with organising the, the chaos that is Liam and I, um, and doing a lot of the editing. Liam, as well, has been doing some of the editing and has been his own form of chaos that's managed to give us some sort of credibility by still maintaining a hat. Um, no worries, yeah, guys. He, he, I, I, of... I think that's the, the cherry on top to the <laughs> massive amount of organisation work that predominantly Mel has done and yeah. has carried, carried us I've... this season. Absolutely. And there's so many people externally that we can thank. Of course, we can thank all of our interviewees this year, Bryony for jumping on, all of the players, all the people that have followed us in any other way. I think, Liam, you've got a few more specific ones you want to point out. Yeah, like I think up front, some of the people that give us the extra data that we've been really relying on this year. Mm -hmm. So Jaden Popovsky, the work that he does to put together a spreadsheet that he says he just does it so that he can make great trades. And he did make some great ones because he finished inside the top 40 this year. But that spreadsheet is vital. And then you've also got the work that someone like DFS Mortz does to, to put together 
that whole DFS website, which is a vital vital resource, and then mm-hmm. which has got a big makeover this year, and yeah, you can now get huge. so many more. You can get like quarter like I, obviously everyone that's listening to this pod knows what you can get, but just to see it go from last season something that you know just had an AFLW tab and was a little bit of a ad hoc addition from men's sports to now see AFLW have its own homepage, all of the all of these stats, absolutely incredible. Love the attention and effort it's gone into getting these AFLW stats as regularly as men's, I can assume. Yeah, and I've been using the the live scoring function all year to keep track of my scoring kind of in games. And then I think the the main, also, you know, the rest of the kind of content creator community and just the community at large for AFLW Fantasy, I think big shout out has to go to Bales for the work that, that he's done, both in having his own spaces for jumping on the on-air episode, which is something that we added new this year, kind of when we were able to make it. It's something that I certainly enjoyed doing and I hope it was a valuable resource, but Bales was a big, you know, big part of that entire process and was probably on as many episodes as the rest of us. And then, you know, the rest of the content community, people making podcasts, like I've certainly enjoyed listening to particularly the Cousins this year as a, as a new addition mm. has been has been great to listen to and, and they've been very complimentary of, of, of us and, and I'm I'm super great super grateful to hear it. It's it's wild to think that, you know, in a couple of years we're, we're in that kind of position, but I'm also someone that relies on, on other people making content. So there's also Gemma and Warney making the official pod. You've got the Keeper League guys doing their stuff as well. You've got Bales and Tommy from Game Day Squad doing their spaces and their videos. So I think what we've seen this year with the growth of, of the official game is just a you know all these organic green shoots coming out with extra content out there. But that kind of leads me on to my final one. Um, and that's just to thank the, the team at Marrera's Magic who made the Marrera's Magic game again this year. I certainly loved playing it. I've also managed to, to finish relatively highly in that. I've loved the unique challenge it made. But I don't think the... The AFLW fantasy official game would exist without the work that they did uh, two seasons ago to put together a completely fresh game with a community of about 2,000 people. That, that is some serious pioneering work and to continue on and to provide a product, it's been awesome and I'm forever grateful for the stuff that they've done. Yeah, that's actually a really important shout out. Yeah, absolutely. The work that they've done to basically establish this community we wouldn't exist without them. So many of the people wouldn't have been introduced to the game prior to this year without it. It, it laid the groundwork. And I mean, Liam put it really, really well where I still find it mind blowing that there are people out there saying thanks to us for all the help and things like that. Because at the end of the day, we're just a couple of mates that are trying to just play a game and watch a game that we enjoy. So the fact that we've helped anybody is truly astounding and we thank every single person that's listened to any minutes of our our podcast throughout the year followed us on social media interacted with us in any way we couldn't be more thankful absolutely yeah it's definitely a new dynamic when you're playing the game and talking about it at the same time (laughs) you really gotta i was saying to will earlier i was like you really gotta i've got so many hours i'm gonna dedicate to aflw a week or AFLW Fantasy a week and the ratio <laughs> the ratio has <laughs> shuffled and as has my scoring, but it doesn't matter. It's so much fun and we love it. That's why we do it. So as always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are Free Kick W Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me, hi Mel D on Twitter, 
Where can they find you, Liam? You can find me on Twitter at LiamAFLWFantasy. And Will? You can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at WillH underscore VI. Still got a fair bit of content to uh, put out, hopefully, for the rest of the year if I can get some uh, player picks over the final series. Uh, mm. And that probably is a good lead into what's next for us. That's which, a very good question. What is next for us? a very good us? question. Well, th- let's do our, like, our pre-season uh, planning session live recording. <laughs> no, uh, I think at the very least there will be something from us probably at the beginning of the new year about the draft and free agency, which is happening in December. So mm. given we've actually got a little bit of more of a normal timed off-season this year in that the, you know, Pre, like preseason movements won't happen about three weeks before preseason training starts. We might actually be able to spread out our content a little bit more, but that's all happening kind of mid-December. So I expect that you'll hear some kind of content from us on that in January, February. Yeah, and uh, yes. just, just, quick, just quickly for everyone that's uh, at home, when I said uh, what's next for us, both uh, Liam and Mel's eyes both expanded the size of dinner plates, not knowing the answer. Um, <laughs> but I guess... Keep an eye on our socials. We'll probably be posting a bit as the, the finals and the the series finishes up. So we'll still be active on our socials, but probably not as much in terms of actual recordings. Uh, and then, of course, there will be plenty of stuff once the preseason and the uh, player movement period really kicks off. So we'll keep being active and we're more than happy to, to keep interacting with anyone and everyone that wants to talk to us about planning for next season or just wants to have a yarn about how they went this season we always have our boxes open yes and we will not be going anywhere so we will see you in season nine bye see ya <laughs> see everyone well done to everyone who made top 100 <laughs>